Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 9, it was Matthew, Mark, then Luke. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 17. Lord, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity to dig into your word, to hear you speaking to us through your word. We ask that you would help us to understand and help us to stay awake. Give us strength to focus our our attention and our affections upon you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that we can come together in your name this morning. Hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me now. Help me to focus upon what you've, you've given us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we, we are in Luke chapter 9. This is week number 27 in our series in Luke. And um, we'll be here for a little bit. But we, I'm, loving this, I'm loving Luke, and this has just been so good for us. We, Larry spoke to us, or preached, I think three weeks ago or four weeks ago? Three weeks ago? He looked at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And here we see Jesus calling the disciples together and apprenticing them and getting them ready to go out in his name and do the things that he was doing. We read, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the, va- went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And so Jesus Christ is, is giving the very ministry that he's been doing onto his disciples to go do. And he sends them out. And they do it. They're proclaiming the same message that Jesus is proclaiming. They're carrying on the ministry of Jesus, healing, casting out demons. They're seeing God's miraculous provision for them in this. These are just average fishermen, tax collector, and a bunch of other guys is coming together. And Jesus is using them to carry on his very ministry. Now we read in, in verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded. But who is this? about whom I hear such things. And he sought to see him. And so we almost get a little, we pull back from the story that we're reading about and the disciples carrying on the ministry of Jesus. We get a glimpse into Herod and what he's thinking in his life. Herod the Tetrarch was son of Herod the Great. If you remember from Matthew, the book of Matthew in the beginning, chapter two, that Herod's dad, Herod the Great, was the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was born. 
He's the one who issued the decree that all the, the babies two years and younger should be, should be slaughtered. And we see him asking this question, who is this? Who is this? This is the question that Herod's asking, who is this? We see the same question keep coming up over and over and over again. So in the beginning, in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus healing the paralytic, forgiving his sins, and what do the Pharisees ask? They say, who is this? Then we read about Jesus and in the, the party with all the Pharisees, and he proclaims the sinful woman who's, who's, who's weeping at his feet. He says, this woman's sin is forgiven. And what do the Pharisees ask? And they say, who is this? And then we read about Jesus in the boat, in the violent storm with the disciples. And he calms the storm, with just his, which is his word. And what do the disciples say? They say, who is this? Who is this guy? Now we read Herod, a ruler, asking the very same question. This question, who is this, keeps coming up over and over and over again. And it says that he sought to see Jesus. Well, Herod at this point doesn't get to see him yet. But in Luke chapter 23, he does get to see Jesus. He does get to meet Jesus. If you remember, in that part, Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod, this Herod. What does Herod do? He says he treats him with contempt and he mocks him, sends him back. He had the opportunity to release Jesus, but instead he sends him back to his execution. So he rejects Jesus. And the conclusion that Herod came up with was this. He was, Jesus is probably some kind of prophet, right? It's either a prophet of old, John the Baptist, or Elijah. All three, some kind of prophet, nothing more. Just a prophet. And Herod's response to Jesus was finally rejection. It's not enough that we just believe Jesus is a good prophet, powerful teacher, If we don't trust him for the forgiveness of our sins, we ultimately reject him, just like Herod. So who is this Jesus? We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about that this week, but we're going to get really down to the nitty-gritty next week, chapter, or in verse 18, where Peter confesses who Christ is. He answers the question we've been asking over and over again. Today we're going to look at verses 10 through 17. We read in, in verse 10, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. And so the disciples come back from their short-term missions trip. We get back to the story that we originally began reading in in verses 1 through 6. And they come back and they said, they've been doing this. They've been carrying on the ministry of Jesus. It's actually happening. It's working. God, God is using the disciples to minister and care for people. Verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So I can just imagine at this point, the disciples are probably tired, exhausted. Jesus withdraws with them to spend some time probably talking about all the things that have been happening, talking about what God has been doing in their midst. And all of a sudden, all the crowds start coming. All the people start coming and they're needy. They need healing. They're broken. They're poor. They're all crowding around Jesus. And I can imagine at this point, it's probably the good, you know what, guys? 
hey, look, we'll, we'll open shop tomorrow, okay? Why don't you guys come back? We'll talk, we'll heal, we'll do all that kind of stuff tomorrow. Just let me get some time with my boys. We need to, you know, have some things we need to discuss and celebrate. He doesn't do that. He says he welcomes them in. He welcomes them. He cares for them. He gives them the good news. He heals their diseases. This is the kindness of the Lord, to welcome those. Even when, when everyone in his party is tired, Jesus is still welcoming people. Verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. So the disciples, as the, as the day begins to wear on, they begin to realize that pe- there's, there's tons of people everywhere, and these people are hungry. And so they identified, they said, we've got two problems, Jesus. Number one, we don't have any food. Number two, we're in a desolate place. So even if we were able to get food, we've got nowhere to go. There's no place, we don't have a jewel Osco across the street where we can run over and, and get you know, a few thousand loaves of bread. There's, there's nothing around here. We're in a desolate place. Why don't we send the people back home or away so they can find some food and some place to stay? There's nothing around here. And the disciples are concerned with the lack of provision. Now, if you remember, these are the same disciples. These are the same disciples who just experienced the miraculous power and provision of God for their own lives. We read in the verses one through, one through six how Jesus says, look, I want you to go. Don't bring food or, or clothes or money. Just go. This is an urgent message for you to go out and to do. Don't worry about any of those things. I'll provide. And the disciples come back from this, this successful missions trip. They've been doing the ministry of God. And now they get to the place where there's all these people and now they're stuck with the fact that we don't have any food and there's nowhere to go. Okay, let's do something. Let's send them away. Let's get them out of here. They can, find their own, they can go find their own stuff, right? They've got, they've got the means to find their own lodging. Surely someone else out there has the food. And so after they've experienced the miraculous provision of God, they come to the conclusion that we need to send the people away because this is too great of a, of a problem that we have here. Even after witnessing all that they've seen, Jesus responds to them. Verse 13, but he said, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. This you, and this is an emphatic use, is you go, you feed them. You take care of them. You give them what they need. The disciples, by now, they've obviously they didn't go and count and come back and say, okay, you know what? Thanks, Jesus, for letting us know that, but we really only have five loaves and a couple of fish, and unless one of those two fish is a whale, this isn't going to work. I know a fish is a, or a whale is a mammal, not a fish, but it's the first century here. So they size this up. They come to the conclusion this is impossible. Even if everyone were to get a little crumb, this is, still isn't going to work. They figure that there's no way this is possible with what we see in front of us. We've counted, we've checked, 
We've got the food sitting right here. We see the people out here. There's no way this is going to work. I think about this past year. We've, in the past 12 months, we've been at three different locations as a church. And I think about this building that we sit in right now. I remember we wa- I walked through this building on a Tuesday afternoon, and <clears throat> the place was for sale, and they needed, a down- they needed a- an offer within 24 hours of us walking through this building here. And I looked at the price, which is a, it was a good price, and I looked at our church, and I thought, we, we can't raise that kind of money in 30 days. There's no way. There's no way we're going to raise that kind of money in 30 days. We haven't been saving for a building. We haven't been preparing for a building. We haven't been talking about a new building. We're just making it with what we have and renting. We don't have any millionaires in the building. We only have a few people. We're just making it. Think about what the Lord has done, how the Lord provided, how the Lord moved on our hearts, on your hearts to give generously, to be able to afford a building, to come up with a down payment of $60,000 within 30 days is an absolute miracle. Think about Ryan and Joslyn Heath. They're not here today. They're in Tennessee. But God called them to adopt three three brothers from Nicaragua. Called them to adopt three three boys, not babies, three grown boys from Nicaragua. And knowing the cost would be somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars. They didn't have thirty thousand dollars sitting in a bank account. They didn't have a bunch of stuff laying around. You know what? We can just bring these boys in. We got all kinds of clothes and toys and, and all these things. They didn't have any of those things. God called them to do something that was beyond their own means. And I, what amazes me about Ryan and Jason in particular is they've never came to the church and said, you know what, we're really, we're not making it. Can you guys please help us out financially? Which we, we would have gladly helped them financially to do that. They never came one time to do it. God provided every step of the way. In my mind, I think that is one of the most, most expensive, difficult, it's a, it's a foreign country, it's long travel, it's, it's all the dealing with a foreign nation that, that the government is kind of screwed up a little bit and, and all, the, all that goes with that. God provided the meetings, the finances, the resources, every step of the way. If I think of anyone who could have said, you know what, that's just not going to work. Here's what we have. Here's what, here's what the need is. The two aren't matching up. Not even close. It's like they would have every opportunity to do that. By the grace of God, we see them with three boys sitting in our church, giving glory to the Lord for all that he's done. What about you? What about you? Reaching out to a co-worker, inviting a neighbor over, serving in children's ministry, serving in the media, serving on the sound team. We look at the resources, we see the need, and we say, I don't know if this really matches up. We conclude it could be impossible. Maybe God's calling someone here to foster and adopt. You feel like, you know what, we don't have the money, we don't have the energy, we don't have the time. 
It's not, the need doesn't match with what I have. Maybe God's calling someone here to greater service in the church, serving the body. You know what? I don't really feel like working in children's ministry. I don't want to take care of someone else's bad kids. I don't have the energy to do that. Maybe someone's, God's calling people to give to missions in a more deeper way. Say, you know what? That need is way too great, and I don't really have a whole lot here. How is this going to work out? Maybe God's calling some of you to reach out in boldness to your coworkers and neighbors. You feel like, you know what? I don't, I don't have anything. What if they ask me a question about the Bible that I don't know? What if, someone's, what if someone has something that they, some question that's too hard to answer or they're really going to be a needy person and I don't have the time and the money and the energy and the, the know-how to really be able to do that? Let's look what happens in verses 14 and 15. For there were about 5,000 men and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And so there's about 5,000 men. Some commentators believe that there could, be a, there could have been upwards of 20,000 people, including women and children. That's about the, the, the size of the town of Munster. All coming together for a church service, and everyone gets hungry at the same time. What do you do with, with maybe upwards of 20,000 hungry people all at the same time? And guess what? You've got five loaves and two fish. And they had to go out and tell the people that it's dinner time and you need to sit down in groups. And you can almost imagine this. If this was me going out and, okay, everyone, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna eat now. Like thinking, where, where's like the storehouse of food that you're going to get the bread from? Where's, where's like the warehouse that you're going to get this from? I mean, 20, maybe 20,000 people. Okay, we're, guys, we're going to eat now. Someone like, hey, hey uh, where are you going to get that from? Like, hey, listen, pal, just sit down, okay? I don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to do this thing here. I don't know if this is, the disciples did this reluctantly, or maybe they're, there's a joyful expectation, like, man, trust me, this guy, Jesus knows what he's talking about here. Just sit down, we're going to eat. Get into groups of 50. It's going to be easier for us to distribute the food. They go out and tell people that it was dinner time, knowing that there was five loaves and two fish. I wonder what the disciples were thinking at that time. And we've seen the provision of God. They've seen the provision of God, but what about now? What about right now? Tim, I don't know if you just want to come up. And Tim has a story of just the way that the Lord has, has worked in his life to see the miraculous provision of what, what God has done. So I asked him to share it this morning. Um, well, a, a couple weeks prior to Christmas, um, you, know how, you know how it is when you feel like you're just spiritually, you're in your groove and you're in your game. Things are, you just, you're doing well. You're doing really well and you sense it. <clears throat> this was not that time for me, okay? I was at a desolate place, a very desolate place, um, just trying to, trying to, you know, seek after God in new ways and just get closer to Him and experience His presence in new ways and um, just a lot of desolation going on. And in the midst of that, um, 
you know, I get a call from one of, uh, one of the workers that I oversee at, uh, at Elam Christian School, one of the aides there. And uh, her, her 23-year-old son had uh, been in a terrible accident and was hanging in the balance of life and death. And uh, Saturday morning found out that he had passed away. And uh, just, uh, you know, just a couple weeks before Christmas time. And um, Saturday night, got the word that, that she, she wanted me to come. They weren't going to have a, a funeral service, just a private ceremony. But the wake was going to be their service. And there was going to be a service time at the wake. And wanted me to come and share. Um, and if this is perfect. I mean, this is so perfect. Because I was looking at uh, the need. And I was looking at what I got in my hands. And I just, I couldn't match the two up. I didn't know the family. I hadn't met the rest of the family. I'd only met Tim one time, six foot four, coming into my office, met him one time. But for some reason, Allison wanted me to come and share. And so I asked her the night before if, um, actually I talked to her husband and to her the night before on the phone. And I, <clears throat> and they both said, Tim, it's okay. If you don't want to do this, it's really it's okay. We totally understand. It's it's so okay. But you were the first person that came to my mind, and there was my out right there. I could have walked away, and they would have been fine with it. But I just sensed that the Lord wanted me to go through and go through with this. Um, what was I going to do? How was I going to go and walk into this chapel, double chapel? with wall-to-wall people, literally. People, people standing along the walls, people sitting, people standing in front of the people sitting, people standing in the doorways, hanging on every word that, that I was going to bring. And that's exactly how it went. And yet they weren't hanging on my words, they were hanging on the words from the Lord. They were at a time in their life where, where every, every word that was going to be spoken they were going to hang on those words. So I'd ask them the night before, could I just, are you okay? Because I feel like the Lord wants me to share words from his, from his word, the Bible. Are you okay with that? Because this isn't necessarily a believing family. And all these people that came weren't necessarily people of faith. What was I going to do? Was I going to offend them? I don't know. I was scared. And as I drove there that night, um, I was shaking. I, my physically, I was shaking. I called Johnny and Johnny and John and Brian. They were praying that night for me, right about the time that I was going to get up there and start to speak. And um, and I was so glad my wife was there in the back, so I could just see her, know that she was there. And I went up, and I was perfectly at peace. I was calm, and there there I stood with a a, a body of a twenty three year old, right here, and a family right here. And God had given me four things to share. I'm not sharing those with you right now, but gave me four things to share with them. And they were clear. But when I went in, with the little time that I had to think and prepare, I had very little to offer. And who I am, I, I, you need to know this about me. Um, I am the least likely person that I know of that should have been standing up there that day. Um. And when I come up here and share sometimes, I, I, I sense in myself, I'm the least likely person to come up and share. 
Because I'm a broken jar, I'm a broken vessel. But how can God use a broken vessel? I do not know. But he does. And I got to stand there and to share God's word, not because of Tim Griffin, but because of God, mm-hmm. because of him, because of the resources that he has, and because of the faith that um, he was able to, to rise up within me. So um, doing that was an incredible experience. Um, and maybe it's not the, the greatest story to start off our new year, but Johnny will bring it home why it is a great story. Because um, it's really cool. God's faithfulness is very cool, and it's so not about us. It's, it's as broken vessels. It's about him. The verse that, that I was, was really outstanding that I shared with his family was out of Psalm 34, and it talks about God being near to the brokenhearted and, uh, and for those who are crushed in their spirit and wanting to reveal to them whatever they think about God. His revelation of himself is that he's close to the brokenhearted, and he loves and cares for those who are crushed in spirit. So. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. I love that story because I feel like Tim looked at his own life, and his, he's never spoken at a funeral before. The need was great. He had every opportunity to say, you know what? Why don't you f- ask someone else to do that? Why don't you, surely someone else would be, do a better job than this. But somehow in God's providence, he had Tim Griffin be able to communicate God's word to probably hundreds of people that night who needed to know Jesus. I think we never know what God is bringing to us. I think last week even Tom came up and spoke about his son Levi they came up last week and said, hey, would, would, would you guys please pray for Levi that he would gain weight? He's been losing weight every week since he was born, and the doctors are beginning to be concerned. We need him to gain some weight. So we, just, we prayed for Levi, and this week he gained weight. I feel like that, that is, what, what, do, what do we have to offer? What, what do I have to, there's no power in myself to heal anybody, to do anything. It's only the mercy and power of God that does that. And we're just, like Tim said, we're just vessels. We look at the resource and provision. I feel like this morning, Jesus was asking the disciples and is still asking us today to look at him for the provision. It would have been easy for the disciples at this moment to say, okay, look, when we see the 2,000 loaves of bread and the 500 fish, we'll go out and start getting everyone seated and tell everyone it's dinner time and, and start making all the preparations for food. We'll do it then. Just show me the provision. Just show me what you have in store for us. Then we'll go out and do it. And it's easy to look at the provision. It's okay, as long as I see the provision, then I know we're gonna be okay. And what Jesus asked you, look, don't look to the provision to know everything's going to be okay. Look to Jesus. That's the thing. The provision didn't come from the food. It wasn't like the food multiplied itself on its own and now everything was going to be okay. The, the food wasn't the provision. It was Jesus that was the provision. Jesus was the one who was, who was able then to take what little was, was, was they had and say, there's enough for everybody and then some. It is Jesus that is the provision. 
And the disciples were looking at the wrong place. They're sitting over here. Jesus is here, and the bag of food's over here. And they're all sitting around scratching their head at the bag of food, thinking, how's this going to work? Look, there's, we don't have enough. And all along, they're standing next to the Son of God who can take nothing and make everything, and they conclude that there's no way this is going to work because they're looking in the wrong place. They shouldn't have been looking at the bag of food. They said, I don't care. It doesn't matter if we have nothing. Jesus, you have everything. You can do whatever you want. You can feed everyone with nothing. You are able to provide. You are the provision. It is Jesus who is the provision. Some of us may feel like God's calling us to serve in children's ministry, like I said, or in other areas in the church. I feel like I don't have the energy to do that. God's calling us to give towards missions. I don't have enough resource to do that. I want to invite, I know God's calling me to invite my neighbor over or invite him to church, but I'm too scared. I'm not a people person. Maybe you're sitting here on a Sunday morning and you feel like God's giving you a verse to share with the church, a verse of encouragement, something to share with the church. You're like, man, I hate speaking in front of people. I don't want to do that. There's no way this is going to work. I'm going to get up here, I'm going to freeze. Everyone's going to think I'm weird. Then I'm going to go sit back down. (laughs) But are we looking at the right place? Are we looking at the right place? Are we looking at what we have and saying, we can't, this isn't going to work? Or are we looking to Jesus Christ as a provision? Verse 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. You know they're sat- when there's 5,000 men who had enough to eat, they were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. 12 baskets of broken pieces. You can imagine the disciples, everyone's sitting down. Okay, Jesus, what are we going to do now? We know we've got a few fish and a few Loaves of bread. And you can imagine the disciples as they each walked back with a basket full of food after they fed maybe 20,000 people and there's some left over. What they would have said to Jesus is they laid those baskets of food before him so we had more than enough. I didn't think this was going to happen. I had no way I thought this was going to work. But somehow, Jesus, you did a miracle. Man, it was... I, when you sent us out to preach... And you said that you would provide for us personally. I believe, you know, we did that. We saw that. But for you to provide for us and then 5,000 men and women and children, that was too much. And now we've got it gathered up and we're laying it at your feet and we're saying, Jesus, you're more than enough. Surely it wasn't the bread and the fish that provided for everybody. It was you. You were the provision. It was you provided for all of us. I think about this and I think without the lack of provision in this time, the disciples never would have experienced a miracle. Think if the disciples would have showed up to this 5,000 people and said, you know what? Good news. The bread truck just showed up and there's plenty for everybody. Okay, let's eat. It, It wouldn't have meant anything. They wouldn't have seen the miracle of God. The disciples' faith wouldn't have been deepened. They wouldn't have experienced a greater dependence upon Jesus. 
And apart from the resurrection, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. This made an impression upon the disciples. Something stuck with them in the middle of this. Now think about Jesus being our provision. He is the ultimate provision. Not just for our food, not just for our health, but for our sin. Jesus is the ultimate provision. He went to the cross and died for all of our sin. Not just my past sin, not just my present sin, but also for all my future. All of my rebellion, all of my broken promises, everything. Jesus died and was a provision for me and for all of us. He was a provision for us. Not a little provision, but more than enough for all of us. We think about the mess we can make of our own lives and relationships. And we think, okay, I need to fix this. I need to get this right. I need to work on this. I need to do this better. And we go through this list and say, well, as long as I can work harder and be a better person, it's the start of the new year, I'm going to go to church every week and I'm going to do the Bible plan and and then I'm going to be okay. It's not enough. It'll never be enough. It's only in Jesus Christ that we are made right before God. It is only in Jesus Christ's provision for us that our sins are forgiven, that we are given eternal life, that we have relationship with the Father, that he gives us his Holy Spirit. It's only because of Jesus. We can't fix it. We don't have enough. But in Christ, we have all that we need. We have all that we need. I want to ask you this morning, What is God calling you to do? Not just, okay, I need to be a better person, but God, what what do I have and what are you calling me to? Maybe God is calling you to invite your neighbor over to your home. Maybe he's calling you to serve in children's ministry. Maybe he's calling you to give more deeply than you've ever given before. But what is God calling you? And are you looking in the right place? I do this all the time, Lord, this isn't gonna work. I don't have enough time I don't have the energy. And it's like the Lord saying, look to Jesus. He is more than enough. He is the resource. He is the supply. Maybe you've tried to fix your life on your own. You think, you know what? I'll make a better way for myself. I'll work harder. Try, stay longer. Do more. And what we need to do is we need to throw ourselves upon Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, please help me. Please forgive me. Please give me eternal life. Please give me what I can't earn on my own. And God says his provision is more than enough for us. And he meets us right where we are at. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are our provision. Jesus, that you've made a way for us to not only have our sins forgiven, but have relationship with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit that you have made a way for us, Lord, that we, as we look at ourselves and how, fall, how far short we fall and how little we have and, and what we can do, Jesus, we look to you. Say your resource is unlimited. Your power is unhindered. God, your kindness knows no end. And so we thank you for that this morning. Jesus, we pray this year would be a year where we throw ourselves at your feet because you are more than enough for us. Amen.